Hi, this is Nicole Spag from LazyLeet.com, and you're listening to Alpha Geek Radio. Our guest today started his career at age 28, moving quickly from guest starring roles on popular television shows to major films like Places in the Heart, The Color Purple, come on, and the popular Lethal Weapon series. He's a producer of thoughtful films, a humanitarian, an amazing actor, and just an awesome human being. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to, and I want you to give him a warm, and it gets pretty warm here, right? A warm Phoenix Phoenix Comic-Con welcome to one of the hardest working people in cinema today, Mr. Danny Glover. All right. Thank you very much for being with us today, sir. Okay. We're very honored to have you here. And to start off with, um, I just wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions of my own because I'm, I'm nosy. And uh, I wanted to know, what was it that actually got you interested and started in theater and acting to begin with? Um, well, um, in, in 1967, I was a student at at San Francisco State University, uh, major in, in economics. And we invited um, a very extraordinary poet and writer out named uh, Amiri Baraka. He was Leroy Jones then. To start what we call a, a community communication theater a project, which included dance theater. And it's a community project. And he... Right. Gal- his presence galvanized the community itself and brought various artists together. And so I was a student there and a member of the, the Black Student Union who had facilitated his coming out there. And so uh, and that's the first time I ever done theater. I was 20 years old. I'd never been on stage before in my life. Not even a little small, maybe something in a small Christmas play at church or something. And so... Uh, I, I did some theater, and then after I, I finished, after I graduated, I stopped doing theater, and I I um, started working. I worked in community development and in the uh, Office of Community Development and Model Cities programs in San Francisco out of the mayor's office, 1971. And so I... It was one of those kind of jobs, exciting, but, you know, I was looking for something to kind of find a way to relax or something like that. And I started doing improvisation. I ended up at American Conservatory Theater in 1975 at a night program. And then from there, I, I did theater in San Francisco, which was very vibrant at the time. Places like the Magic Theater and, and uh, other theaters, Eureka Theater, very vibrant theater uh, uh, right there, a lot of you know. I did Sam Shepard, uh, Suicide in B Platt, and I did this is a lot of theater. And then I ended up in, but mainly the key was was really that I found a writer who wrote for me, and he was a South African writer named Athol Fugard, Fugard. So not only was the work that I doing taught me 
the craft of acting, but also also taught me. For, it 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 also was was gave me some a process in which I was able to say what was important to me in the world and whose side in the world I was on. And it was just at the at the crescendo of of, um, of the anti-apartheid movement, which led me to end up doing Mandela in 1986 and even becoming a good friend of Nelson Mandela as well. So I, I, I think that part of it was the fact that I, I felt that the, the work that I had to do in some ways had to be purposeful. And, and that was the, the main thing that pushed me forward in there. And that it, for me, it had value. I said, this has value. So often I refer to myself as a cultural worker, which means that the work that I do, I feel has value. And of all your philanthropic, I cannot speak today, I'm sorry, (laughs) of all your philanthropic or humanitarian activities over the years, is there any one specific one that has really touched you significantly or more deeply than others? Well, you know, sometimes it's really, I always say, make a statement that is what I do tomorrow, what's important, not what I did in the past. But I I think for me, uh, when... When I was a student and, and we were all talking about an end to the system of apartheid, it wasn't on people's radar screen. Uh, and to know that, that all uh, throughout my life, throughout my life and throughout my young adult life, that, that I had some vision that, that perhaps we can struggle enough, fight enough, and present the argument enough, argument enough that the system of apartheid would end and that Nelson Mandela would be free. So I think out of all the things that, that you were able to say that were part of my life, that I was right right in the middle of, whether it was through my work as an artist, whether it was I doing my work in, in, in various organizations, meeting men and women who were in exile and who couldn't go home, and to see them go home, to be, there, be home, go home after years and years and years. I knew people who hadn't been able, be able to go to South Africa for 20, 30 years. And they were able to go home. And I think if that was, if you were to say the signature thing in my life that I was, I was uh, um, glad I was involved in, it's um, it was it was part of that history. And and the great Paul Robeson once said that that uh, every generation makes its own history and is judged by the history they make. Yeah. And so I think all the things that involved, whether it was being a child of the civil rights movement. And being able to watch my my parents mature and grow as a process to that, and also to be involved in issues around social justice, whatever they've been, and particularly around the the, the end of apartheid was something that that I I, I want I'm very proud that I was there, yeah. present at the time when that happened. We're going to stay, start taking uh, questions from the audience here in just a sec. I just have one last one because it's one of my favorite films. Lethal Weapon was one of your most popular films in your earlier career, and you really ha- seem to have an amazing chemistry with your co-stars. Was, was the making of the Lethal Weapon films as much fun off-camera as it looked like it was? Because like, you seem to be like really getting along well. Oh, man, man, uh, it, it was so wonderful. It, to work with Mel, 
Gibson, and I love Mel. Mel's such a, a great friend of mine. And, and to be able to work with him, because there's a level of just, I think, that you don't, sometimes you don't see it in his work, but there's a level of genius and ingenuity there and generosity. So when all those things meet in one time, you have a, a, just a great time working. And, and each time that I, whenever I think about Lethal Weapon and Dick Donner and everything else, someone just mentioned, say, someone said they had just met Dick Donner and a big smile came on my face and <laughs> it came up to my table. And it's because of that, you know. And, and I mean, they're, they're, it was really a great, great to work in, to bring Joe in uh, and uh, all the, all, everyone who's, who was added to the cast at any time. It was just really, really wonderful. And so, yeah, I mean, it, for for me, it was certainly the most, the most certainly the most successful uh, part of my career, and it also allowed me to do some other things, like to sleep with anger, a movie I did, or the Saint of Fort with Charles Burnett directing, or the Saint Saint of Fort Washington, a movie about two homeless men that I did with Matt Dillon, you know, and other things that it it kind of like became the the, the focal point because it was a franchise film, you know, and then, I, you know, at the time, I had a great agent, too, Ar Arnold Rifkin, man, who's like a brother to me. We, 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 almost exactly the same age, exactly the same age, and we went through the same, but he was my, my agent, and he would find and fight for me, you know, in, in ways. I mean, really fight for me and leverage Try to find to leverage something else because he represented Blue, uh, Bruce Willis, he represented Stallone and everything else. So and Whoopi, so he was leveraging, always leveraging, you know, something for me, and and that was that. But th those those were to be able to kind of be able to have that kind of fran franchise film. I, I remember the th second one, which was about. Uh, you know, laundering cougarans. You know, the film is it, it's, it's since since. It was it was banned from South Africa, so they wouldn't yeah. they, they wouldn't show it in South Africa. So on right. the one hand, we do a, a popular film, you know, a film that that certainly uh, with this first the first the first one out suggested that it was going to be uh, uh, there would be a sequel. We do a popular film, and it's banned from South Africa. It don't get better than that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, in a sense, you know, yeah. when I talked about the word having value having value and feeling that your work has value in a sense, right. you know. And it was inherent value in, in 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 Lethal Weapon as well, because there were other morals to the story, whether right. it's drugs in the first one, or whether it's uh, uh, South Africa in the second one, or whether it's proliferation of armed guns in the community in the third one, or immigration in the fourth one. So on the one hand, there was some sort of general overriding thing beyond just the action and 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 the humor right. in a sense, you know. But the way in which the way in which uh, I think the writers, uh, uh, Joel Silver, one of the producers, and and also Dick Donner were, were able to kind of put these aware, together in some sort of cogent way, in some sort of way that may have allowed people to enjoy themselves as a movie experience, but yeah. also come out of feeling feeling something else as well. Yeah. All right, and I see there's quite a few of you out there that are itching to ask him some questions, so let's start over here on this side of the room. And your name? My name's Hannah. 
Okay. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Glover. How you doing? Good. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, I have a question about Lonesome Dove and your work as Deets. I w- I'm sorry, a question about what? About Lonesome Dove and your work as Deets. Uh-huh. And I wanted to know what drew you to that role, and then if you wanted to share an interesting story about the filming with us. Well, you know, I, it's interesting because um, I did Lonesome Dove in, in, in 1988. I think we started shooting at the beginning of 1988. And it's certainly... One of the one of the great uh, miniseries of all time, you know, and um, even though Dietz didn't have a lot to say, there was something I was kind of building a storyline around Dietz, and and I think the storyline I built around Dietz was that he was a black Seminole Indian, and if you know a little bit of history about black Seminole Indians. They made their way after an agreement with, with the U.S. government after three wars. After Seminole Indians had three wars, starting with, with at ni- in 19, I think 1816, three wars that lasted over a period of about uh, well, oh, oh, 30-something years, three different wars. Out of that war came, uh, those wars came General Jackson, a president, Zachary Taylor, a president, and Dade. General Colonel Dade, Dade County came out of that war, and so I made him a, a, a black Seminole Indian because after they made an agreement and went to Oklahoma in places, they fled because the agreement was was was, was it was not upheld. They fled across the Rio Grande and worked for Santa Ana's government uh, until after the Emancipation Proclamation. Then they came back over to Rio Grande, and you see plaques all around Texas where they were, became scouts for the Texas Rangers and for the U.S. Army as well. So I, that's where I, I figured out Dietz was, a black Seminole Indian who had come back to, because he had a different kind of consonance about himself, you know. And I he was able to use the, the form of that, 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 that idea when I did Buffalo Soldiers uh, for uh, TNT, and made John Horse, which is a traditional name for black Seminole Indians. John Horse had some of the same kind of history as Dietz, Dietz did as well. And, I, I, you know, I think, I think the, mo- the movement of that, you know, it's just what I felt like that everyone in that film, you know, from every single one, from, uh, um, 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 I, I, what's my man's name, uh, 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 every every single character belonged in that film. Every single person who played in that film belonged in that film. They looked like they belonged in the film. There's a wonderful um, coffee table uh, uh, photograph book uh, uh, that that was taken by the the, the screenwriter who adapted the play, uh, and and it's really beautiful, beautiful about what it was to shoot on that film, you know. And there were great stories, you know. There was a lot of you know, Robert Duvall is his own person, you know what I'm saying? And then you have all these different energies and everything else. And and But I, I tell you, man, I tell you, it was such a, a really wonderful experience in the B, you know, and I guess that scene at the end, you know, it's um, really... Uh, really, really special. I, I, and I, I use that term. I said, "Black Samuel." My grandma is part Choctaw, 
So, so there's, there's, there's a Native American blood that runs through my veins as well, you know. Yeah. All right. And what is your question, sir? Uh, my name is Patrick, and my question is, what is your best memory of Angels of the Outfield? My, my best memory. Of Your best memory of Angels in the Outfield? Oh, God. It was. Um, <laughs> it's. The best memory I have, Patrick, and I knew this was going to be a special film, was after it was released, after about it came into theaters. And I'm talking about 1995. So this next year will be the 20th year of his release. That's when it came out, just in the All-Star All -Star game for 1995. And I was in the, I live in San Francisco, and I was in the supermarket shopping, and I was in the vegetable department, vegetable and fruit department, and as I passed by, a young boy about your age looked up at me and whispered to his mother, Mom, there's the coach. <laughs> so I think the best memory is the impact that it had and another memory I went to an event um, first I went to two events one event was um, these were students at Boston University and they invited me to speak there about you know uh, you know just to speak and I think it was um, a, a, a student event there and so the stu a group of the students came up to me and said, Mr. Glover, would it be all right? Would you be offended? These are college students. Would you be offended if when you came on stage, we all got up in the audience and did the wave? <laughs> Which they actually did. In national ten when I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I was speaking at the, the National Association of Collegiate Activities, which are all students. Now, to tell you the impact this film had, these were all college students who would decide who, did, who they wanted to bring to on their campus to speak. And there were about eight or 900 of them. And when I, when I came in and I was announced to come in, they got up in the audience and all of them did, they did the wave, you know. So those are my best memories of it. All right, but the impact that it had on people the fact that 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 that's you know my grandson has seen it a couple of times. He's ten years old, and that young people like you and uh, still look at it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, go ahead. Hello, my name is Candice, and it's an honor to meet you, sir. Um, I have two questions. The first one is. I was introduced to your Western genre only about three years ago, <laughs> so it, I I knew the the lighter side, Angels in the Outfield, Maverick, that kind of thing, and I fell in love with you all over again when I started seeing these westerns on Encore. So I was just wondering, out of all the genres you've done, I guess which one is your top pick? Well. <laughs> You know, it's hard to beat. You know, when, when I was Patrick's age, young man's age, when I, knew, when I came up, I grew up on westerns. 
you know. So there's always you you grew up playing cowboys, you know, and there's always a sensibility to that, you know. I mean, their 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 favorite westerns that I have that I, I I can look at over and over and over again, you know, like like Paul Newman and Ombre. You know, <laughs> I love that one with Richard. And I, one of my favorite series of all time was Half Gun Will Travel with Richard Boone. You know what I'm saying? So there you go. I know we got some happy some claps in watching for that. But so I grew up on westerns. You know, you know, Rifleman is on television, or you could go on and on and on and on and on. So the opportunity to get on a horse and play in a western, there's a whole different other kind of perspective. When you're on a horse, you know, in a sense, you know, and and if you you get a chance to do it, I mean, Deets and that that white that white horse he had on, I remember in Silverado, I had three horses that I, I was riding every day for six months almost, just about every day for six months when I did Silverado, man. And I have I'd have my three horses, they all looked the same, but I knew which one would give me the best, you know, the, 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 the one was the runner, you know, and, 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 one, and, and it was beautiful. It's beautiful, you know. And I remember when, when, I, uh, uh, when I had, uh, when we, before we started, we had about four weeks of rehearsal. And when I picked up that Henry Rice rifle, I would almost broke my arm. It was so heavy, you know. So I, I would stand up in my room and I would use it as a kind of like pumping iron or something like that. <laughs> with one hand. I put it on this hand and this hand and this hand and this hand. But there's something about so romantic about that, you know, about that, about doing a western, and it's a part of that. And and I did a lot of research, you know, about about westerns, you know, and particularly black people in the West, you know, because Lawrence Kasdan came up to me and said, well, after he saw Places in the Heart, we had a screening of Places in the Heart in 19, early 1984, and Lawrence Kasdan came up to me and said he was going to do a western, and he wanted a black hero in it. He didn't want, he didn't say a black western, he said a, a western with a black hero in it, and I did a lot of research on 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 the West and what it really looked like, you know, you know. In fact, I, in fact, the before before 19, the 1920s, America's primary contribution to world literature was the Western novel, and and so I mean just the Western novel. And in that in that place in that space that the Western novel created, you saw all kinds of people in it, whether it's Chinese or Jews or African Americans and all Mexicans and everything. They populated the real West. They were, they were more than just, you know, Randolph, uh, Scott and, and John Wayne, you know yeah. what I'm saying, his <laughs> images in, in the West, you know. So I, I think that there's a one thing, the opportunity to do that and understand the um, the West in a different way, you know, and 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 to do that was was one of the things, the great things that came out of that as well. That's awesome. <laughs> you have my, one more question? Yeah, my second question is actually something I'm stealing from some Bravo interviews I had seen, um, and I've adapted it a little bit because I have had a little crush on you. 
I, wa- <laughs> I wanted to know, um, as maybe one of your favorite characters, what would be the best thing he might say to a young woman or lady? Well, as one of my favorite characters, you know, it, it's funny because when people say, "What's what's the what's the uh, um, the movie? What's the movie that you like the most that you've done?" You know, it 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 always be places in the heart. Uh, simply, not 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 be, more, yes because is. <laughs> It was my first major role, but also my work is dedicated to my mother in that. And things happened in such a way. I was living in New York in April of 1983, and I I came home uh, to San Francisco, and I was spending time with my mother and I was spending time with my mom and dad, and my mom was just man she's the mo- she was great she was great she was just amazing my mom you know and I remember the first time when my mom saw me <laughs> act she said she came backstage she looked at me son in a little small community theater the people said you can act <laughs> it was so if you it was so precious it was so that's how she was <laughs> yeah boy, she'd always like to Take me in and say, I want you to meet my son, Danny. He's an actor. You know what I'm saying? But she, she said, you're going to do a movie in September that's going to change your life. And it's going to be about you. And, uh, and I took that in. And then I remember uh, getting Places in the Heart, the script. And I was on my, it was in an empty room on my agent's floor. And I was sitting on the floor reading the script. And everything in that film resonated about, you know, memory and everything else. Um, because I had this kind of, in some sense, I had this kind of dual lives and where and parallel lives that coincide with each other or that just intersect with each other. My mom was born in rural Georgia. To, to farmers, mother and father who were sharecroppers when they started, when they were married, tenant farmers. They eventually, because my grandmother, her mother was a midwife, they eventually would save up money and bought their own farm. And my mother always, with a, a, a moral, part of my moral underpinning was my mother said that she would always be eternally grateful for her mother and father because she didn't pick cotton in September. She went to school in September. That's a sea shift. So hypothetically, you can say that I'm sitting here in front of you today because my mother didn't pick cotton in September. She graduated from college in 1942, migrated to New York after teaching a year of school, and then met my dad, and they ended up in San Francisco at the end of the war where he was discharged, and they stayed. So those are kind of makes sense. So I had this very, very close relationship with my grandparents. I would, my mother would t- we'd go to see them all the time. In fact, when I was like two years old, I lived with my grandparents from the time that I was uh, from uh, I, from the time I was six months old to three years old. I lived with my grandparents, and on that farm 
was my grandfather's 90-something-year-old mother who was born in 1853 and was freed by the Emancipation Proclamation during that time I was there. So on the one hand, those are the kind of what I call, I think I, think I talk a great deal about psychic history or emotional history and everything. So those are part of my emotional life. So when I read this script, I said, I, call, I said, Mom, I, I think this is the movie. And I said, it reminds me in my images, images, the images reminds me of my grandfather, your father, my grandfather, and the images remind me of so many things that I, I, I can, I have, they're visceral, I mean, they're, 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 they're part of my, they're subconscious rather, they're subconscious, and there's stuff I feel, and you know, I felt a long time in my life, and the images there remind me of that. Well, my mother, on the day that I received the information that I was going to do the move, do the movie, my mother died in an automobile accident on her way back home to see her mother and father. And so it was. It was while it's the most traumatic thing. I had the rare opportunity that we get as an artist to to um, uh, to how you I would say to to contribute something or to say something uh, about. I mean, this woman I was incredibly in love with, you know, my mom. And to be able to say that in my work. So I said all that, to tell you that story and all that, to say this, that in some sense, find something that's connected to you. You know, that was, in some sense, Robert Benton didn't know he was going to select me for that role. You know, he didn't know he was going to do that. But I, in some way, the role came to me in such a way. And it gave me an opportunity to pay homage to my mother. It gave me an opportunity uh, to pay not only homage to to uh, 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 them, but when my grandfather saw it, he said, boy, what? he forgot, he was 90-something years. But what you know about picking cotton? Well, I said, Grandpa, I was out there getting in your way out there in the cotton field when I come yeah. down. <laughs> when I would come down there to see you and everything. At least I got out of the way. I was there trying to bust over to one of those watermelons and eat the heart out of it and feed it to the hogs. You know what I'm saying? But But that's those are the kind of things that, that, that certainly were when I say that all those kind of things make up me. I'm, a, I've, 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 uh, I'm totally community-based. I've lived in the Haight-Ashbury since I was 11 years old. You know, I live about 10 blocks away from my, where I grew up as a kid, you know, near Golden Gate Park. And I've been, you know, that's, that's basically me, you know. So in some sense... I, I found a way in which I could, I could use or um, to 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 frame my relationship with this business, and at the same time to try to live my life. All right, Brooklyn. <laughs> Mr. Glover. Hello. My name is Angela, and I've grown up watching your movies, and I want to thank you. You're talking to Mike. Sorry. (laughs) My name is Angela, and I've grown up watching your movies, and I want to thank you for your work. Um, The Color Purple and Silverado are probably my favorite movies. Um, My question is about Silverado. I know you talked about this a little bit already, but what is your favorite or best memory of working with such a phenomenal cast in that movie? 
Well, I, I think just working with the cast themselves. You know, I, I remember <laughs> Larry. Larry has this kind of tone. It's almost like a monotone in his voice. It's, it's always it's a nasal kind of kind of it's in his in his. Uh, it, he talks to it like it kind of has a nasal effect when he speaks. But Larry would say, "Man, there are a lot of great actors, but." There's only a few you can live with for six months. <laughs> so I think all of that, you know, every, every, the, the moments with just working out something, rehearsing and doing something on a daily basis, you know, I mean, it was six months. I mean, six months that we were in New Mexico shooting that. And it was a great, great experience, you know. It was just a wonderful experience, you know. Uh, the stuff that came out of that, the um, the movie itself, uh, and then, you know, the, the publicity, the touring, the, the Columbia, uh, put a lot of energy and resources into. So... Every every moment was, you know, we we worked together, we ate together, and then when on Saturday night because we're working six days a week on that film, normally you know, you know actors would pitch you, uh, you know, and get angry you had to work six days a week now, but working six days a week on that film. And just everything, everything on that film was just really, and it was, you felt like you were doing something special, basically. It was, it yeah. was, so thank you very much. You know, I mean, that's the good thing about it. Sometimes when you do something, like I remember the first Lethal Weapon, you just felt like you were doing something special. And primarily it was a relationship between Mel and Dick Donner, the director, and myself. That's what made it so special. All right, we have another gentleman over here. What was your other favorite role? Well, for other, other favorite role, I mean, uh, the other favorite role for me, perhaps, Places in the Heart. And, and you had to put Lethal Weapon in there. I, there's so many, it's so hard to say. Um, but a film that I had as much fun doing for other reasons, was Predator 2. Yeah. You know. And there's an interesting story around that, too, because uh, I was in Chicago doing a play at Steppenwolf Theater in, in Chicago doing a play, and I received three other scripts, and one of the scripts was somebody who played a pimp. And based upon all the commotion around around uh, uh, the color purple, I couldn't play a pimp. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> that, that was not going to be my next role. Even though it was, it, 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 it was a, uh, I think, a brilliant role, brilliant, you know, I could have done something with it, but I just couldn't play a pimp. The other one was about a high school teacher and the, next, the third one I got was the role in Predator 1. 
And I couldn't, I couldn't read that either. I couldn't play that anyway because there's a scene in it, if you remember Predator 1, where Carl Weathers become very violent with the woman in Predator 1. And so uh, I, couldn't, I, could, I couldn't do anything. When I got to Chicago, Chicago was, was what you saw, uh, what you would call uh, Central Station for all discussion around Color Purple. <laughs> Wherever you go, people were talking about Color Purple. Color Purple it is. Everybody was talking about Color Purple. They were having meetings in churches and meetings. What you call Purple? So I couldn't do anything. I wouldn't want to do anything that involved me mishandling a woman. That's the first song. And then after that, after that came Lethal Weapon. After I turned those other three things down, then came Lethal Weapon. And 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 so when Predator Two came along, and I, I was shooting Flight of the Intruder in Hawaii, and Predator Two came along, and my my agent called me. The agent I mentioned, Arnold Riffin, called me and said, "Hey man, don't 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 jump into conclusions, but we're gonna do Predator. They're gonna do Predator Two. Uh, Arnold Arnold's not gonna do it, and they want you to. They were offering it to you." With the same writers, the same groups, everybody's in it. Everybody who was in the first, who did the first one, who worked behind the scenes, writers, technicians, and everything, special effects guy, we're going to be in this one. So I said, let's go. And I, I totally did. I, you could, you could say, I'm pretty much, I stay pretty healthy, and and, and fit. I exercise a great deal. In fact, you know, I was in the gym this morning. But I do a lot of cardio stuff, and and at that time I could still like run four miles on the sand in the beach, so I was working out, and I had never lifted weights before, and so I got a trainer. We lift weights and everything else, and Predator too, man. I wasn't gonna get as big as Arnold, but I I can I can I can I can service my own frame, you know. And so I I was feeling great, man, you know. I was feeling I was feeling like I was the I was the man then. And it's something that that's something about acting too. Because once you become immersed in the in the character, you become the character, you know, and I call it a process of immersion. And it and, and whether you're on stage or whether you're doing film, there's a process that you go through as an actor where you become and in, 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 in essence you become Center, you become the character, and and you become within the framework of the film indistinguishable. So, when I did that, so that was that was great, you know. Beloved was interest was fascinating for me because I think it's probably the most important film I've done, Beloved, because of what the story it tells. And if you saw Twelve Twelve Years a Slave. Watch that, and you can probably go go back and look at Beloved and get another sense of that. You know, in the sense that 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 what what the system itself, the the pain, the the um, the guilt, the fear, and anger, all that stuff, in the sense uh, the system of slavery represented as well. Okay, and you have a question? Oh, yes, I do. Um, my name is Erin, and um, my first impression of you was in The Color Purple. 
Um, I thought you were a scary person <laughs> until I saw Lethal Weapon and then I saw all of them and it was a running theme with my friends and I. But um, the question I have is, do you have a favorite book that kind of changed your perspective on a certain subject or your life or something like that? I don't, I don't know if, you, if, if it's singular, you know. I think in life you... you uh, you often find yourself in in a, in a in, let's say in a, in a thoughtful evolving life in most ways, which most majority of us live. You know whether we whether we find things to reinforce our beliefs, and we find things to to steer us in a particular direction. There, there's several there are books throughout at each particular stage in my 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 development. These books have been have allowed me. To uh, to do that, you know, since I'm trained trained as an economist, the early books for me were books around economics, you know, whether it's political economics and everything else. And reading those books, understanding, study those books uh, were, were were the things that further governed the rest the first part of my life. And 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 often they they're often associated with with um, various various elements centered around change, you know. Um, if you ask me what's in, 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 in my, my, uh, my bag of books that I, that I, that I carry with me, one of the things that's always with me, and I would say that, that is always reinforcing me, is that I have a, a couple of books, uh, on, on Martin Luther King's speeches. I have, I have at least two books in my bag right now. And send books my right now. So at some some point in time, I I I'll read that as something in, in in clarifying or something in reflective in some sense because his words are simply prof prophetic, and not only uh, not only uh, are are we were important at the time of his death more than uh, more than 45 years ago, but I think they resonate now as well. So if there's if there's one particular thinker that that certainly at one particular point in time that that it that I do that, um, um, partner King, I, I just wrote I just a, a great friend of of, of uh, mine, a great friend of mine, just died about three weeks ago, Vincent Harding, and he, he was a primary. He was 82 years old. He's a primary speech. Writer for Martin Luther King, and I would always used to talk with him and think about it because he's written some extraordinary stuff on King and everything else. So if you're reading King, you're going to read Gandhi. If you're going to read those kind of things, those the books that, in some sense, in some try to kind of shape the way who you are. You know, I, 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 I this is my 50th year. I graduated from high school. I spoke at. Um, um, I, at, at about two high school, two high school graduations, you know, and and offered, you know, and and I thought about the in the in the conversation, I think about my own movement or my own evolution from that process, you know, and books become that for me. I just happen to be, you know, books and articles, you know. I'm fascinated by by uh, education and the ideas around education. You know, and and around there, and and still I still read um, 
um, various books around economics, you know, situations, thinkers around that. You know, a friend of mine who's an economist just gave me a, just gave me the title of a new book. I can't wait to get into. You know, and so, yeah. Oh, and then one other question: Are you ever? Are there any plans for you doing um, anything for Oprah um, for the master class? Uh, no, uh, she has a master class. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like a, a it's a show on own, and it's called Master Class, and she has all the like uh, she had Morgan Morgan Freeman and Whoopi Goldberg, and oh, yes, yeah. and it's yeah, it's something new. No, oh, that's great, that's great. I have, yeah. I, I I didn't hear about it. This is the first I heard about it. Just curious. All Thank right, you. Then. Thank you. All right, and you have a question over here. Uh, hello, Mr. Gover. Uh, my name is uh, Danny also. <laughs> uh, thank you for all your great work. Um, question. Um, something in regards to one of your other brutally challenging uh, roles from uh, kind of like uh, Predator 2, that of uh, Lethal Weapon 4. Um, I just wanted to know, I just have an interest in, uh, was it, how was it, was it brutally challenging working with Jet Li? Uh, with all the fight, various fighting scenes, including the showdown, any painful moments, amusing anecdotes. Oh man, it, man it's, it's, in fact, he's a, he's a sweet man. He just has a beautiful heart, man. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it, he, Jet was about Jet Li was about 35 then. So, but they say when he was younger, he was much quicker than he was. Then. I can't imagine that boy. He was. It was something very special to watch, you know, um, and to be a part of, you know. Um, and the, but the nice, the beautiful thing about this is that, you know, all the uh, all the stuff that we did underwater and all the stuff that, that seems like it's on a pier, that was on Warner Brothers' set. Really? It was not in San Pedro. <laughs> yeah, because it's... At, 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 uh, at, at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It was not in San Pedro. And so what, what happened is that Dick Donner, we all have been just tired of sh doing night shooting. You know, that first part of Lethal Weapon 4 where I'm in the shorts, so that's that shot, and that's a night shot. But we were all tired of doing night shooting. And Dick did not like, do Dick Donner did not like doing night shooting. So he had this, Warner Brothers build a tank, which must be, a tank must have been about 15 feet high with water in it. And we shot everything under there. Shot everything on the set. I had we had our our our, our um, you know massage therapists and st people were stretching us and everything else like that. So it was beautiful. It was wonderful about that. You know, you know, we'd get we 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 get to the set at seven and we leave by seven. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and you have a question, sir? Yeah, I'd like to start by thanking you for Lethal Weapon. They don't make movies like that anymore, and they've tried many times and haven't got it right. Um, but my question's about Predator 2. Uh, I know that you said Arnold passed on the, on the second one, uh -huh. and they, they turned the reins over to you, which you took really well. <laughs> and, uh, but I was wondering, I know Arnold likes to turn everything into a competition, so have you seen Arnold since Predator 2, and how did he feel about you taking the reins from him on that? I mean, I mean Arnold and I would see each other quite often because we're both involved in Planet Hollywood. He was cool with it, man. There was no problem with it. He had moved on, you know what I'm saying? 
No, we had moved on. He had moved on, you know. I'm glad it was available to do, you know. I'm just surprised that that how many people have come to come to me with that that uh, uh, that uh, uh, with with, you know wanting a picture or or talking about Predator too, you know. It's some great lines, you know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Some of them we can't pronounce. We 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 can't we can't offer to the audience because of the language. But you know, you know. Someone just gave me one uh, 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 today, you know, and that's honey, honey. She gave me a line saying, "Hunting predators." I don't know if there's any hunting predators is hard work, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, uh, who's next? All right, who's next? Okay, who's next? <laughs> it's a great stuff in there. As a result, sometimes you get the best line, Silverado. I don't want to kill you, and you don't want to be dead. <laughs> what a great line. That's a great line. I don't want to kill you, and you don't want to be dead. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, All right, and we have right. a question over here. <laughs> Hello, my name is Andrea, and I just uh, I wanted to do this for my mother. She's actually in the back. She's too shy to come up and say hi to you herself. Her name's Susan. But I do want to ask, um, during your career, you played a lot of authority figures, and I was wondering, is there ever a point in your career where you felt that you were typecast? Then I thought I was what? Typecast. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think, uh, yeah, I think there was a point in my career when I was always casted as, usually, most of the time, someone who was as older than I really am, you know. That, that happens now. Somebody wanted me to play some role when I was 92. I said, well, that's a little stretch right now. <laughs> you know, man, that's a little stretch for me, you know. Uh, but, you know, when I did the first Lethal Weapon, I was 39, I'm playing 50, you know. And that, that's always been the, the M.O. for me, you know, in some sense. But I remember when, the first play I did, when uh, in 1967, I was 20, and I was playing the father of a teenage girl. So I, I think I just kind of like started. It, it had its roots the beginning way back, way back. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. Hi there. I'm Anna. Um, I'm just wondering if you have any tips for aspiring actors. You've been in so many different genres. I mean, you worked with a guy in a predator suit, and yeah. you've made people sob. And I, I you know, I just want to know if you have a certain method to getting back and forth. I, 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 I uh, there's something about there's something about acting in some way that um, that and then I think, think transcends genres you know in terms of your preparation you know there's a way in which I think <laughs> I, 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 I mean, for example I did a movie called Switchback um, and where I played a serial killer so I read everything on about there was about serial killers. And the FBI has a special 
a special section around serial killers. And the stuff that you learn is phenomenal because they never catch the A guys or the A-plus guy. You know, the guys they catch, they're like the, the guys who are B-minus, B you know, guys. I mean, I'm giving them a grade. So when I, when I worked on the film, I tried to, I tried to figure out where, where I can ground, and use this word, immerse, where I can ground the character. From theater, you learn to ground the character in some sort of physical action or the, the physical something, the physicality of it, whatever, you know. Um, if your feet hurt during the whole play, then the character's whole emotional life is situated in his feet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I remember when I did Switchback, and I was trying to find something to center the character. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was saying that his Qigong master could knock you over from across the room, literally knock you over. His chi, the word chi was so powerful. Chi, his chi was so powerful. So I'm up in the Rockies here, and then I've started, for some reason, I decided I want to take Pilates. Now in 1995, <laughs> you know, not a lot of men were taking Pilates. You know, and it was just, so I found, I went to this place and I went started taking Pilates and I felt something happening with me. I felt something happening with my body and where my body became centered in a certain way and my movement became centered in a certain way. So, and usually what I'll do is, 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 is also part of my preparation is that I'll have a, some sort of music or something that I identify. In this case, is a really beautiful piece uh, standard by John Coltrane called Equinauts. And, and that, that I, so I centered everything around here. So I have, in my trailer, I've been playing Equinauts. Da-da-da, bum, bum, bum. Da-da-da, bum, da-da. Da-da-da, bum, da-da. So I, I would play that in my trailer, and I was taking Pilates. So I found that's where I wanted my body to be. I found the kind of ease where I want my body, the ease of mood. And the guy had, he was a cowboy, you know what I'm saying? So I began to send it. Sometimes I'll do that, and I'll send it around. And beloved, it was around the clothes. Every, sing, every single piece of clothes I had had its own story, and I made the, his, the story itself. So everything else, I took this off this dead man. I took this off this. I found these shoes. I did I, all every single thing, everything. So one of the things that I'll do is I'll try to do that. Center the character. So whatever he does, whatever action he does, mm -hmm. whether it's comedy or whether it's physical action or whatever, I'm able to, to kind of find the center of it. And I think I learned that. That was a word lesson I learned in, in, in theater. And I also learned in chance. Uh, and dance as well, because when I, when I did movement, you know, somebody just mentioned Morgan Freeman. No, Morgan Freeman used to be in a dance troupe early on. So in movement, what I did was I found some way of regulating or being able to, to kind of uh, organize my body. You know, and I'm like 6'3", over 6'3", so I'm trying to find some way to make my body feel comfortable with my body. And that's the key to it. So, and the key to that is, as acting is, is I think the key to acting is, 
is listening and the, and the key to listening is relaxing because you can't listen if you're not relaxed. So all those are kind of things that I employ at some point in terms of centering the character and finding the character and everything. Sometimes they come spontaneous, you know, you know, in some sort of way. In places in the heart, I, I know what it felt like. All I had to do was recall in my past memory what it felt like being around the farm or what it felt like, you know, that, that, that moment in time, you know, for me, you know, some, some, something that I call on that. So, but the key is that whatever you find, if any actors and actresses here, and, and I'm sure there are plenty of actors and actresses around here can give you certainly value, a lot of valuable uh, information working there. The key, the key is basically trying to find ways in which you use yourself. Thank you so much. All right. We just have a quick moment left. Do you have any projects that uh, you're um, you're uh, working on that you want to talk about really quick? Well, I, you know, I'm working on this film for Paramount right now up in Vancouver, which I have to I have to be there tomorrow night. Um, uh, and it's it's called it's it's one of those big summer movies. It's called Monster Truck. You know, it may be under Formula M, but you know they think very highly of it. Well, good. I look forward to seeing that. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, let's have a big, warm, loving hand for Mr. Danny Glover. Thank you, Thank you so much for being here, sir. I hope you had a great time.